podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to this week's Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. It's been a great week for England. They completed their first overseas win in over two years. Jennings, Folks, and the spinners particularly impressing. We have a World T20 to look forward to. Can England do the double? We'll talk about Australia's torrid ODI form. They've won their first game in eight ODIs. And Zimbabwe, who won their first overseas test in 17 years. With their win and England's win this week, has playing away from home ever been so easy? I'm Yaz Rana, and I'm joined by Wisden Cricket Monthly's magazine editor, Joe Harmon. Hello, Hello Joe. Yaz. Hello. And my fellow Wisden hip young gunslinger, Still not sure what that means. Ben Gardner, how are you? I'm, I'm all right, Yaz, and hi, Joe. We're all good. Yeah, we're all well, good. Let, well, let's crack on. Ben, what's your moment of the week? Uh, well, my moment of the week is uh, quite a sad one, really. It was uh, waking up this morning and seeing the, uh, the, the embargoed press release that Catherine Brunt was going to be uh, entirely out of, of the upcoming World T20. It's not only a, a huge blow to England, like she's obviously a sort of attack leader and spiritual leader in a way, but she's come in terms of batsman. She's a proper round on that side, but really just from a... A personal point of view for her, she um, she sort of intimated that this might be her her last tournament. It's sort of, it sort it hasn't been confirmed, and it might be that she wants to go out on her own terms and now delays that until the end of the next Ashes. But it's uh, just 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 really sad for for England and for her. Fran Wilson's come in, but to replace somebody who bats in top five and is one of your five bowlers is always going to be difficult. And there's no light for light replacement within the squad. Yeah, and she's a real talisman for them as well. When I interviewed Danny White a few weeks back. I said I suggested that this might be Catherine Brunt's final tournament and her, her face fell and she said she's just so important to the team, not only what she does on the pitch, but in terms of the change room, it's still quite a young side and she offers so much experience. Danny White said she's not gonna let Catherine Brunt retire anytime soon. Uh so I, I, I hope and I think that if now that she can't play this tournament she'll hold out for the ashes at least next summer. The cl- the closest they've got, not in terms of being a pace bowler, but as sort of a an all-action all-rounder is maybe Sophia Dunkley. Uncaptain, we'll get more into the England stuff soon. But um, I, I really like her. I think she's got, got a bit about her and she bowls leg spin, which basically no England bowler almost ever has done. Um, so yeah, it could, it could be a route into the side for her. But yeah, it's a huge blow. Well, we'll talk about the World T20 in greater detail later. Joe, what's your moment of the week? So mine was uh, a thing I, I saw on Twitter that, that caught my eye. Uh, Shiva Singh, uh, an Indian left-arm spinner of Uttar Pradesh, who uh, had a kind of unique approach to the wicket, and he he did a 360-degree pirouette in his run-up before releasing the ball, which then, uh, disappointingly, was called a dead ball by the umpires. Uh, so, apparently he had done it in a previous match and it had been allowed. This one was caught on video, dead-balled, uh, which I think is a, is a crying shame. I think uh, I think that we should have more innovative run-ups. I was thinking... Mo and Ali moonwalk as he possibly comes <laughs> nice. in or um, you could have kind of James Anderson strip ball sort of waltzing to the wicket together before whichever of them bowls but the so, laws of the game Joe what, what do they say well <laughs> funny you say that um, as I'm sure you all know under law 21.1 the bowler must state his or her mode of delivery which seems to have been left arm round the wicket in this case but yeah. does not state how conventional the bowler's approach should be but law 41.4 says it is unfair for any fielder to deliberately attempt to distract the striker while he or she is preparing to receive or receiving a delivery. If either umpire considers that uh, action by a fielder is such an attempt, he, she, he or she 
shall immediately call and signal dead ball and inform the other umpire of the reason for the call. Um, the MCC have clarified this and said uh, the bowler counts as a fielder and the law states the offence is the attempt to distract the striker rather than the striker actually being distracted. So if the umpire f- feels that the tactic was done deliberately to distract the striker and because the bowler doesn't do it every ball, uh, so that, that seems to be the reason why. So that's my take from it. That's what I understood. So basically, all Shiver Singh needs to do is do it every single ball. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then it's fine. That's just part what of his run up. Something weird every ball. I mean, where do you draw the line? Cause like Mark Wood used to, when he first came to the England team, used to start his run up basically before the batsman was ready. Mm. And then the bat- I remember Kane Williamson realising, actually, if I just pull out, that's fine. Yeah. There was an IPL game, I think it might have been Andre Russell bowling to Shane Watson, and this it's a bit different as well, but it's a pace bowl and a spin, I think, because there's the, the more of a danger element, but Andre Russell sort of looked like he was pulling out of his run-up, sort of like just kind of ran a bit lazily as he was approaching the crease and then got back into it and bowled, and Shane Watson was kind of like, what's going on, and just like didn't even play a shot, and I think that was counted as fine, but I think also... Andre Russell did it behind the umpire, so the umpire basically had, had no idea. But I mean, you've got to do something back to the bowlers, haven't you? I mean, n- nice to, I mean, batsmen can step backwards and then step across as the bowler's about to bowl. Why can't the bowler do something weird and then bowl it? I think it's it's a, it's a nice bit yeah. of, of of mental mental chess. It's quite funny, isn't it? Yeah, I think too, that yeah. I think that should be encouraged. I quite enjoyed as well that it was seemed to be Bishan Bedi who sort of broke the story <laughs> as if he's a sort of a here to the ground journalist uh. and then Dan just wrote weirdo which I thought was a bit bit strange as well um, I mean fair enough to be honest if you can if you can do a 360 twirl and still bowl the ball accurately like, if you can do that and it was bang on it was bang on I saw yeah. um, Ali Martin of the Guardian tweeting Swanee saying that maybe he'd, he'd picked up some <laughs> some tips from watching him on Strictly well I think that's enough on uh, the 360 twirl um, my moment of the week uh, has to be the England win but in particular waking up on Tuesday morning and seeing the England 11 a lot of people predicted uh, very different 11s um, and I personally didn't think they would actually uh, leave out Stuart Broads and it was great to see a team featuring so many players who've uh, been consistent performers in county cricket for a long time so Roy Burns, Jack Leach, Ben Folks, to a degree Sam Curran um, they've been standout players in county cricket for a while and it rubbishes the suggestion that um, County cricket is in any way devalued, as some people were suggesting when Adil Rashid was picked early in the summer. Um, and yeah, with the exception of Burns, they played really well um, and they contributed to a really healthy England win and England's first away win since October 2016 when they won Bangladesh. Yeah, and they, I just love basically all of them as well. Yeah, like it's a really uh, nice team. Yeah, really nice. Like I mean, Jack Leach talking about being a DJ at Joss Butler's wedding. There was a really nice picture that I saw of uh, Joss Butler, Adil Rashid and Moan Ali. Moan the big backpack on to go on a little like day out together. It's just, I really, really root for them in a way that, that like, like I mean, obviously, so you sort of want England to win, but you just like all the individual people as well. It's yeah, great. I feel like Jack Leach has got the potential to be like the Harry Maguire figure, the cult status Definitely figure. got a bit of that, hasn't he? There was a bit, I, I saw a bit of um, kind of Monty in him as he was celebrating his wickets. That kind of, wide-eyed disbelief that he'd managed to take a wicket every yeah. time he does it and the kind of uh, endearing nervousness as he's talking to the, the TV cameras at the end. There is that there is that kind of, um, yeah, as you say, cult hero status. And I think the difference between those two is Monty had his had his frailties, obviously had his difficulties off the pitch. And, and Leach, as much as he's not your kind of classic cricketer, doesn't look like your classic cricketer, does seem like a more robust character. He's had some really tough times. He's obviously had his action questions and had to fight back and and remodel his action. He's been probably not treated especially well by England. They've made it 
pretty clear, I think, that they didn't really back him initially. And he, he's kind of forced his way in rather than them seeing him as a as someone had, who had to be picked. Uh, and I think watching him bowl this morning, there'll be a lot of Somerset fans sitting there going, well, we told you so. Well, and they certainly did. Out of the professional game for a long time as well, wasn't he? Like he was, yeah. He went, went, went through uni and then what, he ran the trolleys at... Tesco, is that right? Yeah, that is right. Although I think he was doing that whilst playing, so the idea, but yeah, but but he's had an unconventional route. He's an unconventional greeter in lots of ways, and uh, he's is uh, to chat about him and Butler teaming up again after taking wickets for Somerset under eleven. Caught Butler bold leech as he was screaming at, at Butler as he went to approach him, which is not not your average celebration. And I think there's a lot to uh, to enjoy in Jack Leach over the next few years, hopefully. Quite different to a Tom Curran celebration, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I think even even in victory, I think he's not got as much credit as he'd probably ordinarily get in another England performance uh, with everyone else doing, not everyone else, but a lot of other players doing well. He, he took five for 100. The wicket uh, to get rid of Chandamate was basically the perfect lovely. left arm spinner delivery. And also just didn't, didn't bowl a bad ball. Yeah. All day. I think I saw a stat that it was something like the longest an English spinner had gone without bowling, uh, without conceding a boundary in some amount of time. He's a, yeah, he, he look, looks really, really good, especially on these sorts of pitches, you know, how to bowl. A nice, quite telling comment, I thought, as well, as he was speaking to uh, Sky at the end, uh, talking about Mo and how well he'd bowled. And he said, I, I wish I could bowl like Mo, which when a lot of people spend that whole time saying that Mo and Ali is not a spinner, it's interesting to see the best spinner in the country in terms of stats over the last few years saying he wishes he could bowl, bowl like Mo. And what it shows is they've got great variety, especially with Rashid in there. Didn't bowl so well today, but did his job in the first innings. Uh, England have got a huge amount of options. Apart from a, a left arm wrist spinner, they've basically got every single base covered, haven't they? Yeah. But you have a right arm uh, swing seam bowler in, in Jimmy, left arm swing bowler in Curran, right arm fast in Stokes, left arm orthodox spinner. Four wicket keepers. Yeah, four <laughs> wicket keepers. Um, no batsmen, but that's fine. <laughs> well, Ben, you you were particularly happy with Ben Folks' 100. Ben uh, came into the office on... Uh, was it Tuesday morning with a with a wide grin and um, he basically had one for the rest of the day. Ben's a, like myself actually, a massive Ben Folks fan. Um, it was a great debut, but you're not really surprised, are you? No, I mean I've I've I don't, I don't want to toot my own horn, but <laughs> sort of uh... given that he was the one that scored the century, <laughs> yeah, well, he, he should take some of the credit. Um, but yeah, I've, I've 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 sort of supported his case for for a while. Um, he just like I, I mean, and it's tough when you you because. As you know, we work at the Oval. Uh, it's tough not to sort of favour people here, but just every time you watch him back, he just kind of looks like al- almost like he's playing below his level in the way that established test cricketers do. They just kind of look like they're going to make runs every time, and like they're sort of not trouble. You know, like somebody kind of knows his game really well. And Joe spoke to James Foster today. It'd be interesting to hear what he had to say about him as well. Yeah, so um, I'm doing a piece on on Ben Folks for the upcoming issue of Wisden Cricket Monthly. Uh, and we've spoken to well, there's a lot of sorry players in this squad now. So you, obviously, Ben, you spoke to Ollie Pope. Yeah. Uh, Phil's written about Sam Curran, uh, and then uh, Aaron Harrenath has interviewed his, his teammate Rory Burns as well. So for part of that, I, I spoke to James Foster, um, who obviously played with him at Essex. In some ways, Foster kind of forced folks to leave because he needed some keeping opportunities. But he, I, I put the, the now famous quote of Alex Stewart saying, "Folks is the best best keeper in the world." To Foster. And said, is, is that a fair comment? He said, absolutely. Of everyone he's he's seen on TV and playing against in county cricket, he says, folks, is is the best keeper uh, and continues to improve. He said he's never played with anyone who works so hard on his game, trains so hard, 
But said with that, he's also a very laid back character who knows how to process the information he's given from coaches, use what suits him, leave aside the stuff that doesn't, uh, and is a very kind of self-sufficient cricketer. It's all the things you hear about when people talk talk about Alistair Cook or, or Joe Root just being not only a hugely talented cricketer, but one who's absolutely capable and knows how to go about things. And I think it's going to be fascinating what England do with this side now. I can't see them dropping folks for quite a long time now. I know you don't want to get too ahead of yourself, but given how good he is as a keeper and the fact he's got a century, I think it's going to be a struggle to, to justify dropping him. So then you've got, how do you fit Besto back in? Which is a... Yeah, I think we're going to come. Yeah, to we'll, anyway. we'll come come on to that next. I mean, just on on Ben folks, England fans probably kind of forgotten how how nice it is to have a keeper that good for a while. Like it's been four years, four and a half years since Matt Pryor last played a Test match for England. Oh, but you don't um, want to do. I mean, Besto has become a very good keeper. But Ben folks is so natural. That um, is true. I think he he takes the half chances, um, and uh, I think particularly in Sri Lanka where it's spinning. I think you need that. Like his stumping, he make he was quite a hard stumping. The ball bounced quite a lot. He made that look routine. Yeah. Um, and like throughout the whole Test match, he made keeping look so easy. Yeah, I do think the more we talk about folks being a good keeper, somehow Besto becomes the worst keeper. And yeah. given the strides he's made, I think that that is the danger of that being quite unfair. And I know, well, yeah. we all know Besto feels that very keenly. Yeah. And has a bit of a chip on his shoulder about it, but he's to an extent just got to take it on the chin. I mean, does he really think he's the best keeper in the country? Mm. Be interesting to hear his thoughts on that, but not many would say that Bairstow is. Well, folks, is batting as well. Like uh, in his century, um, he batted sensibly. Um, the 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 top six went in with um, I thought unnecessary positivity. Uh, they weren't very pragmatic. They the, uh, Joe Root was talking about it even at the end of the Test match, saying they wanted to push fielders back and make batting easier later on. But uh, in doing so, they most of the top order gave their wickets away and Ben Folks just batted sensibly um, and quite responsibly and I thought that was really impressive on debut. So I think similarly, uh, I think when we talk up Ben Folks' batting, we almost talk down his batting. But actually, he as Ben's been going on about for ages, he, he merits a place in the side on batting alone. Forget the fact that he's the best keeper in the country. He's sort of a specialist keeper who bats, isn't yeah. he? In an, in an odd <laughs> kind of way, which... Which is massively important to us. So how, how do we get Johnny Bairstow back in the team? Johnny well, Bairstow's fit for the second Test match, most likely. How do we get back, back in the team? I think it depends how England look back on that first session, the Test match. Um, if they look at it as a, a good plan that was executed poorly or it's just uh, it's, it's risky anyway and they kind of played shots that were sort of percentage-wise but didn't come off. Or if they think that they should bat a bit more like Ben folks did and uh, and just sort of and just play I guess and not worry too much about the run rate that sort of thing because if, if they do want to sort of take the attack to Sri Lanka um, then harsh as it is they could bring Bairstow in for, for Rory Burns who I think if you're looking at the team uh, like if even just counting it down like basically no one you can drop apart from him Jennings got 100 Monet at wickets unless you decided to take a bowler out which I wouldn't do but that that is the other option or you leave Bairstow out Yes, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not discounting that at all. Yeah. But it, it's, uh, yeah, and I, I guess that's then. I think Michael Aston made the good point that we have no idea what the pitch is going to look like for this next test. It might not warrant three spinners, possibly. Mm. Um, and if that's the case, then you can bring Bersto back in. Surely, as a specialist batsman in that way. Um, but again, who for? Like, I guess, I guess Rashid would be Rashid's the one. The only, but then Rashid, I know he doesn't bowl that much. Roots and bowling too much, but he does use him. He uses him to take 
wickets where nothing's really happening. He does clean up tails like no one else does. They've got if they are bringing him in, they've got it really clear that they're doing it to make the side better, not because they want to get their stay back yeah. in the team. And I think if he doesn't play the next test, so be it. And I probably would leave him out. Uh, and I don't think it's a massive concern. You bring him back in when certainly um, I'm sure he'll play over the winter anyway. And then certainly next summer when you've got a bowl of fewer in that side, then you mm. do want to have him come back in. Rob Smythe wrote a really excellent piece for the Guardian Spin this week talking about the idea of a, a best 11 being a kind of antiquated idea that that shouldn't exist anymore, that you should have a squad that you trust and you pick your 11. So you've got your best squad and then you pick your best 11 for each game based on that. And I think that's where Ed Smith is coming from. Uh, and I'm not sure changing a winning team is always whether you want to do that anyway is, is questionable. But in this circumstance, I think to drop Burns after a tickle down the leg side and a run out on your first test would be, especially given how long he's fought to try and get yeah, in the test side, would many, be quite a brutal selection, really. And how many runs he scored for Surrey over the last five years. I think uh, the runs that folks, and not just folks, but Sam Curran as well, have uh, hit for England, um, I think there's a massive wake-up call for your quartet of Moeen, Josh Butler, Johnny Bairstow and Ben Stokes. Uh, the four guys have been around the England team for a long time. And like, if you're, if you're going to be honest... Really good teams don't have four guys in the middle order who who all average in the low to mid thirties. Uh, if England are to become a, a great Test team um, and challenge teams away from home, all teams like the Shranka team is not the best team. It's a good win, but they're not the best team in the world. Um, I think those guys need to be take more responsibility for their batting, and they all have uh, multiple strings to their bow, so they justify selection uh, in other ways. But I think long term, those guys need to. Uh, score more runs basically and be more consistent and more reliable at the moment way too much is being expected of Joe Root and the lower order there's that stat going around Twitter that um, the last five wickets for England in the last is it last year or since I the last summer calendar year I think it's calendar year average more than the top five and that's not right and I think the top order needs to take more responsibility um, Keaton Jennings we kind of glossed over that but what an important innings that is that potentially saved his test career he's I've I wouldn't have picked him, I'll be honest. I wouldn't probably wouldn't have even taken him because I just thought the record he had shouldn't be rewarded with selection for a win at all. But Ed Smith, again, has looked at the conditions and said, look, he got a century in India. He plays spin really well. He plays the sweep shot about, shot about as well as anyone and a lot of them. Um, he deserves another chance. And he's completely shown that was a that was a right call. Um, and he's clearly a really lovely bloke who took some really difficult times this summer in his, in his stride. So it's great to see him do well. Uh, whether that means, again, whether he should start next summer, uh, in Ashes summer, against Australia's quicks in difficult mm. conditions, is another question again. I mean, I, I still, based on what he's done this winter, I don't think that necessarily means he's going to succeed next summer. But for the time being, after the rough, tough run he's had, I think we just say seriously well battered Keaton Jennings and, and the mental strength he showed as well was, was incredible after the, the summer he's had. Well, yeah. I mean, so I mean, because it's all well and good sort of talking about this. Uh, this you pick your your best, your, your team you think is going to win the next Test match, but it's in practice it does get like it does get a bit harder. It's like it would feel very strange if you have Keaton Jennings who doesn't play a Test in England, who you then sort of pick for every overseas tour in a way. Or and I, it's, I think it's just slightly different with with batsmen maybe that mm. it just feels different. I know India do sort of do it, like they like basically don't ever pick the same the same team two games in a row or at all, but. It's it is sort of tough to see how it works in practice when you when consistency is important as a batsman to be able to like play without fear of failure because that could be loss of your place and that sort of yeah. thing. It is it is a tough thing with Jennings. So I don't know how if it could impact the England team long term to uh, 
sort of discard him even if he has a good winter. I don't know. The reality is, if he has a massive winter or a good winter, he will start the first That's Test of the Ashes. Yeah. The debate is whether that makes him the best person to still keep the job yeah. and then you decide two, three tests in. Well, we've only got one test match at home before the Ashes starts. We've got three in West Indies and one against Ireland, I think, at Lords. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I really like Jennings as a, as a, as a character. Um, I really wanted to see because I honestly think he could be a future England captain, take take the burden off Joe Root. I know that's uh, quite premature considering that uh, he's had a horrible run in the side at home. But in terms of his character, I don't think there are many obvious leaders in the team other than Jennings and, and Butler, probably the only other guy who, who could do it. Um, so, yeah. I'm, ben Folks. Ben Folks, maybe. Oh, yeah. Ben Folks, captain. Roy Burns. Um, well, also, I, I'm not saying that even necessarily want the job, but the way Mo and Ali captain Worcestershire this summer amazing, as well it? Uh, it was really impressive so there you go loads of captains yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, right we can't talk about the test match without uh, a word on Rangana Harath who retired 433 test wickets the most of any left arm bowler in the history of the game um, Ben do you think he's kind of underrated he's gone under the radar and he's had a stellar international career uh, yeah I do and when it comes to people being talked as underrated I often think that underrated players get talked off so much underrated they become rated but I, think, I still think with him that he is Michael um, Carrick uh, yeah sure uh, <laughs> James Milner yeah. <laughs> cricket boys cricket, yeah, cricket, cricket. Yeah. Um, uh, Daryl Mitchell um, anyway um, Rangan Harath I think he's uh, yeah I, th- I think he's, he's I think he's a brilliant bowler I think I think he does qualify for the sort of the, the great status if, if you want to if that's an important distinction to make. I think that um, sort of without him, Trank would have been basically nowhere after Merrily retired. I think that he's like just improved so much with age. And I think, yeah, it's just that the fact there's no sort of mystery there means that he's underrated to some extent. Um, he just kind of plugs away a little bit. which And even that, even the way, it's similar to how people used to watch James Treble in ODI cricket. You underrate them almost just by how you talk about them, even if you're praising them. Because Harath, although he didn't have, like he wouldn't, turn it miles or do things that other bowlers couldn't sort of dream of doing. He would work out players. He'd know exactly when to use his arm ball. He'd know, he'd be able to like drift it. He'd have like immaculate control. And there was a lot of intelligence there rather than just being a sort of a line and length spin bowler. Mm. And, um, and there, there, like, there have been <clears throat> the occasional moment overseas when perhaps he's come up a bit wanting, but there have also been brilliant moments overseas. I think Schrank is like one of the best wins of the last decade really was against South Africa in South Africa and he took... Nine or eight wickets in the game. Yeah, and he was he he was amazing. So he, well, I mean, that is because in my mind, I think of him as an excellent, excellent bowler, and his record is incredible. But in my mind, he doesn't fit into the great category, and it's so subjective anyway. What great even means, but and I was trying to work out why I think that, whether that's kind of Western bias or because he hasn't done so well in England in terms of Test cricket over here. But then I was looking at his away record compared to some of the other great spin bowlers of, of the kind of modern era. So Herath averages 39 away from home compared to Warren at 26, Murley 28, Cumberlay 36, and then Habajan 39. So that I think that's where I'm coming from. It doesn't make me right, but and I've gone in there with a belief and tried to back it up with stats, which is, I think, so basically, the, the way you do it these days. Herath's not quite Shane Warren or Murley. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> but that's true. But, well, but, but, but even, even Cumberlay, I just think, I don't know. I, in, that's, that's why I think... I don't think he's that great. Oh, sorry, not that great. A great, a great, a great. But what he's done for Sri Lankan cricket is remarkable. Um, Kind of taking the burden from Murali at the age that he did. Uh, And I know Sangakara says he's kind of one of the most skillful players he's played with, most admirable cricketers he's he's played with. 
Um, very quickly, do you think he should be walking off into the sunset after the first test match when no. he was basically their best bowler? No, I, I have a, I have an issue with this. Uh, I think if he's fit enough to play the first test and he's fit enough to go and play first-class cricket, as apparently he's going to do, he should be playing the second and third test. Farewell, get get your farewell at the end of the series. But just because it's gall and you want to go, out, it really it kind when of most of the fans are England fans anyway. Yeah, like, and. and yeah, I mean, they've, they've done it before. I know in Sri Lankan cricket, Sankara bowed out midway through a series. But for me, it, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I don't know whether that's even necessarily how much of it is his call or whether it's Sri Lankan cricket's call, but whoever's call it was is the wrong one in my mind. I, I kind of got the impression just by watching him in the field that I wouldn't be surprised if he had decided to retire before the series uh, started and he basically got convinced, can you please do at least one test match? Like, he's really struggling in the field. Like He, he doesn't look like a test match player. No, any, but then he hasn't done for quite a lot, of, a lot of his career. And the bowling was, he was still <laughs> Sri Lanka's best bowler, probably. Or Pereira, Pereira well, yeah, yeah, alongside Pereira, yeah. It's funny as well, Pereira's sort of the, the young upstart who's expected to take take on the mantle. He's, what, 36? Yeah, he's 36. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'm sure they'll, they'll just keep churning out bowlers who come into Test cricket with an average yeah. of 20 and yeah. 900 first-class wickets and continue to win them games in Sri Lanka. So I think I, I think they'll probably be okay as well. It's not I don't think he's going to leave quite the same void that you thought Murray would and then didn't in a way. But he is still going to be a, a big loss, obviously. World T20 kicks off today. Um, ben, how do you think England are shaping up going into the tournament? Uh, pretty good. They have had really good form in T20. Well, pretty reasonable form in T20 for a while. They obviously won the Tri-Series against Africa and New Zealand. They lost in the final against India and Australia and won the series against Australia in the Ashes. All, all good sides and they held their own every time. Uh, Danny White's coming to her own. Obviously, he's spoken a lot about her, including on this podcast. Um, and I think uh, they've got... a good bowling attack they've picked a lot of lot of spinners a lot of left arm spinners um uh, which is good for the conditions i think that 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 might be the biggest challenge for them is they've sort of gone with a no holds barred cricket scored a world record score got what 300s between them in the last in the last year it'll be interesting to see if the sort of the danny white described them as cabbage patches if uh, if they can hit through the line on on those on those pitch or if they can sort of rotate the strike and uh, and get up to sort of like a 150 160 rather than aiming for for 200 and getting out for 120. Mark Robinson described uh, the the pitches and grounds there as uh, being conducive to old school women's cricket in that um, the boundaries are, are pretty big. They haven't brought them in on these international stadiums. Uh, so he's expecting like quite a low scoring games where taking the strike is quite important. Yeah, that's what happened when England toured there before the World Cup. Uh, they won an ODI series 3-2 think and uh yeah that, that scores of 150 in ODIs could prove match winning then so it's going to be yeah a lot of uh, ones and twos even threes really testing the fitness um could be quite important to to bat deep which makes Brunt even more of a loss um I, I yeah I, I, I but considering how easy their group is comparatively um I would put them as slight favorites ahead of Australia just because there's every chance Australia could slip up against New Zealand or India, and then uh, after, so that makes sense. Whereas if Australia get out of their group, I'd make them favourites. Cool. So uh, other than Australia, anyone else who you think could threaten anything? Well, West Indies are the hosts and reigning champions. Yeah, I mean, Hayley Matthews is like to come back into form, so that's uh, that that's exciting for them, and they 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 might do something. It's the nature of the format as well. I mean, South Africa beat England in a T20 in the summer, so there's no reason why they couldn't 
to bring an upset. I mean, e- even Bangladesh in that group, um, I, they beat, they won the Asia Cup the first time India had ever lost a game at that tournament, and they uh, won the whole thing, beat India twice. And I saw them. I went. I was at the qualifiers, and uh, the leg spinners, Ramana Ahmed, especially, is a uh, She's just fantastic, and uh, that's going to be a, a real challenge actually for, for some of the teams. You probably won't have seen a lot of her. And then New Zealand, uh, sort of a bit of bit of ebb and flow. Joe, you sort of feel like our New Zealand women's cricket expert. Uh, am I? Wow, well, <laughs> that's a new title. I'll be demanding a pay rise. Um, <laughs> One for LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. So Susie Bates has stood down as captain. They got absolutely spanked by Australia in the recent series. It, they're not looking particularly good and I think with India and Australia in that group I put them third favourites to get out of there I think India could be really strong I mean the way Mandana batted uh, in the KSL this summer she was just on a on another level Matali Raj is going to is going to bat through Mandana can play some shots they've got a good good spin options for the Caribbean I think they could be really strong Jemima Rodriguez looks really exciting yeah well. so the, the, there are loads of options there and they showed having not performed in tournaments particularly well they showed last summer in the world cup that that they actually now have got that kind of pedigree uh so i think they would be dark horses i do think it it looks like a two-horse race with england australia but west indies showed last time that you can come from come from anywhere in the shortest format yeah the one thing for me with india is they they have sort of there's been there's been a bit of fluctuation with them like so they had no idea who was against sri lanka who kind of you like people sort of think they might finish boss with that group and they just squeaked it 2-1 they lost the last game and mm. the second they won by seven runs or something and then they, they they lost the Asia Cup losing to Bangladesh twice like there are there are cracks there so I think I think the, the thing that's really exciting is there's kind of no dominant team going into it and it is it is really open not just because the bottom teams are caught up in it, but I think because some of those top teams are just slightly slightly not as strong as they maybe have been in the past and yeah it could be it's going to be fascinating I think I think very quickly quick words on Ireland they comfortably beat Sri Lanka in the last warm-up game uh, you were at the Qualifying, qualifying event for the tournament. How do you think they'll do? Yeah, it says a bit more about Sri Lanka, I think, than it does about Ireland's hopes. But they, they do have some really talented players. I think um, Kim Garth is a she's a, a fast bowler. He's good enough to earn a place in BBL sides and bowl full quotas in in winning finals. I say so. She she had a stress fracture at the back, but it looks like she's back to uh, to somewhere close to full bowling fitness. That could be really big for them. And then um, the other one is Gabby Lewis, who's seventeen or maybe she's turned eighteen by now, and a uh, Really, really classy batter. But she, she, she's got some power. She can hit sixes, but she kind of looks the, the complete package in a way. She's the uh, the daughter of Alan Lewis, who uh, is uh, played a big role in getting Ireland cr- up and going in the nineties. Um, and international rugby referee. Yes. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, but yeah, so she, she's got she's got half centuries against New Zealand, uh, and yeah, she 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 looks a really really class at capable and she could be really big for them going mm. through. They've also got Claire Shillington at the top of the order, who's got a century for them. I think against Japan. I want to say. Um, Seriously, good knowledge. <laughs> so it's probably just making it up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so and it looks like it'll be hers and Kira Metcalf's last tournament. Um, so that'll be a they'll want to go out on a high. So yeah, they, they've they've got weapons, and there's no reason why if a couple of those don't come off, they might sort of uh, at least run someone close. I think this is probably a few years too early, but they look like a team on the rise, and that's 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 really exciting. Now looking at cricket around the world, uh, other cricket around the world that's taking place in the last week. Uh, Australia won an ODI, the first in. Uh, they lost seven in a row. Um, that's a really, that's a really exciting series. I think like you've got Dale Stain, Kagisa Rabada, Lungingidi, uh, Hazelwood, Cummins, and Stark all playing the same game. Uh, that's pretty exciting. Um, 
we're not going to talk. Marcus Stoinis as well. Marcus Stoinis, who, who took the most wickets out of any of those in the game today. Um, I found that funny how Aaron Finch got man of the match for scoring 41 and superb captaincy. Rarely do you see uh, well, player of the match awards given for superb captaincy. Yeah. Really. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Joe, there's been talk that uh, the the bans to Smith, Warner, and Bancroft uh, might be rescinded. Do you think oh. there's any chance that happening? Briefly? Who knows? Who knows with Australian cricket <laughs> at the moment? I was speaking to Mel Jones, who's our our new columnist for Wisdom Cricket Monthly, yesterday, um, and she she said she wakes up every morning looking at her phone, wondering what what's happened next. Who's going to resign? And it it has got that feel to it at the moment. She said whether you think the ban was too long or not in the first place, that now that was the ban given that they should serve it. And, and I can not I can see that. I think bringing them back just adds to the kind of theatre of the whole thing. Uh, there's an argument that it's not even necessarily fair on the on the players, given the pressure and the scrutiny it would, it would put on them. So who knows? I think the Cricket Australia had to say they would consider it based on the cultural view. To have just dismissed it would have just suggested they were just as arrogant as they were, as they, as they were reviewed to be. Uh, I'd be surprised if we see them back early, but not, massively surprised but, but now they've actually won an ODI they can bring them back and not say they're doing it because they're really bad at ODI yeah it? yeah possibly I mean it's, <laughs> cer- it's certainly when you think the challenge ahead of a four test series against India it's certainly tempting to think we'd be a lot better side with Warner and Smith yeah. in it um, but I don't know I think that's probably one one story too many for Cricket Australia to handle at the moment I think the ideal outcome for me from Australia's point of view would be for Steve Smith probably to come out himself and say, I accept the ban completely and I look forward to returning a year after I was originally banned. It would sort of like help to re-ingratiate him. It would sort of put the story completely to bed. There's no way they could bring him back after that. I think that I'm not the person who came up with this. I can't remember who wrote it. But I, I think, I think it's, a, it's a solution that makes perfect sense. And Steve, if, if you're listening, I think it's what you should do. <laughs> I'm Warner, sure. do we expect Warner to do the same thing? <laughs> well, I, I think once Steve Smith's doing it, it'd be hard for David Warner to come back and say like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm coming back now or never at all. And uh... Hard, but not necessarily <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Um, and Ben, Zimbabwe got their first overseas win in 17 years. That's, that's brilliant. Even though it's against a pretty weak Bangladesh side at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bangladesh missing Tamit Balanchaki, Hassan, we should say. I mean, they've been on a lower Bangladesh, but this is probably an unfair reflection of, of where they are as well. But yeah, it's great for Zimbabwe. And they've got, I mean, the one I really like is, is Sikandar Raza, who uh, was player of the tournament at the uh, at the qualifiers when Zimbabwe just missed out on uh, sort of causing a bit of a shock and getting to the, the World Cup. And he took three wickets in both innings. Um, he bowls really well, but he just looks like a, a really like, classy runner. But more, more than that, he's a seems like a a guy with his sort of heart in the right place and sort of thinks a lot about what's good for the game. That's sort something of spoke really powerfully on receivers player of the match already because Zimbabwe went in that final, so he sort of drove down to the ground to pick it up and then uh, went on a big tirade against against the IC and everyone. And it was a uh, for the ten team World Cup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and it was uh, yeah quite 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 powerful stuff really. Um, so yeah, I mean for for him and for the team, it's it's a huge moment and they've they've got a really talented talented team. Brendan Taylor. Well, this is it because things were starting to look up about 12 months ago or 18 months ago with Carl Jarvis coming back, Brendan Taylor yeah. coming back, and then it just didn't quite happen. And the World Cup qualifier, really, given it was on home soil, was a, was a disappointment, mm-hmm. really. Um, so then to have this kind of unexpected win um, was great for them. And they've got another test in the series. I was really excited. I thought uh, Zimbabwe's win meant that, uh, that 10 teams would have won a test match this year. And I thought that might have been the first time ever 
Bangladesh haven't won yet. So Bangladesh, well, please do. win. Yes. And then that could be Keep a good happy. start. That's yeah. the main thing. Um, so uh, let's end with what we're looking forward to most in the next week in cricket. I'll start. Um, I'm really looking forward to, obviously, the World T20, but particularly the fact that it's a short, sharp and sweet tournament. Um, it's over and done with in just over just a two-week period. Um, and there'll be lots of good cricket played there. And happening, and, and and hopefully not many meaningless games, as we're probably going to have to endure during next year's World Cup. Um, mine is, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing. Well, we've already discussed it, but what England do with their selection debate? I think I've, we've never known a the a number of options like it in the England side. Uh, and whether Bairstow will throw his toys out of the pram if he's not recalled, I think he's he's not particularly good at holding it in when he's annoyed. And uh, I think my guess is he probably will be. Uh, sitting out in the next second test and probably quite annoyed as a result. Ben, your moment of the week. Uh, Super Sunday, seven international games and uh, me reporting on probably basically all of them. So that'll, that'll be uh, fun and terrifying. But yeah, yeah um, you're looking for something to do. That's what you should be doing on Sunday. Cool. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Joe. That's your Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast, folks. Make sure that you subscribe and get all your friends subscribed. See you next week. Podcast Network.